boys, bitch boys. Bitch boys, bitch boys. Bitch boys, bitch boys. Binge Boys, a show where two guys talk about streaming. You're listening to it. Hi, I'm Hal Rudnick. Across from me is Lon Harris. Lon, hoot hoot. We talk about streaming shows and films, not just the act of streaming. That would be a boring show. Yes, it, this is very true. Thank you for that clarification. It's like, well, first you gotta you gotta set up your modem. That's step one. So that's that's going to be our focus today. And then going to going to want to going to want to put a Wi-Fi router on there so you can. Uh, now, what if I just use uh, what if I just use Ethernet? There's there's the old man again. He's he shows up. Uh, uh, now, usually he's a guest, but he's just sitting in for the. entire. Oh, yes. Yeah. Uh, oh, I just wanted to chime in. All right. I'm going to I'm going to go to the park and feed the birds. Good oh, day. That's a classic old man. Old man behavior right there Lon what's happening uh what's going on uh what's going on with your beard not same same as it ever was nothing really changes about my beard these days a little bit I guess the 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 gray patch expands slowly over time but that's about it otherwise it's pretty consistent yeah have you ever thought about using uh just for men or anything like that or do you not care now, you know what, when I, it was, I've never thought about coloring. I've never thought about darkening or like getting rid of the gray. I did, when I started to go bald, I did go to the doctor and I just, just to ask, just like, what are, what are my options? Like lay, obviously this is happening. Like lay it out for me. What, what, if, what, what are my options? And literally everything they described sounded awful. It was all just like, Here's a long, labor-intensive, expensive thing that you can do every day for the rest of your life, <laughs> or nothing. Like those are that's it. Or like the the surgery and shit that doesn't work. Like that's it. It's 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 things that don't work at all. Uh, a thing that is like you got to do it every day for the rest of your life, or you know, wear wear a wig, dude. A beautiful wig. Get into the base. Become one of those baseball cap guys that just you're always. I have thought that, that I feel like that I'm not I'm not going to do any of this. I'm just going to like go bald right, and be right. bald and let people can deal with it. But mm-hmm. uh, I I think that if I was going to go with any backup, it would be like hat guy. Like I would just get a hat that became like my hat. It's like that's the hat Lon's always wearing. And yes, I would I, like be not a fedora, but well, like a oh, hat yeah. that was more like to, to you know, me. Yeah, not a fedora. You're not an incel. Jesus. Right, exactly. But you know how, like, Samuel L. Jackson has that, like, the oh, yeah, Kangol? Yeah. Exactly. Kevin Feige is a hat guy. Right, yes. I, I, but I would, like, find the hat that works for me. So I, I have a little bit of a receding hairline, but I have... Uh, You've my got hair's... a beautiful, lustrous head of hair for a man your age. I know you were fishing for that compliment, but I will give it to you. Oh, thank you, Lon. Yes, I have a man in his 40s, for sure. But even though I have uh, halfway decent hair, I love wearing baseball caps. I am. I just. I'm not. It's not. It's not like a, a specific thing to baseball caps. I'm not. I don't love that feeling of like a thing sitting on top of your head all day. Like I, I have to say, I've never worn a hat enough to just get. I. I would. I. I would have to develop that because right now it still feels like when I put a hat on, it's like, hey, I'm here on top of your head all day, oh, you, and I'm you like, know you know what? A- I like. I would like there to not be anything up there. All sure. Day. You know who else is a hat guy? Slash from Guns N' Roses. Yes, that's what I mean. Like, I feel like you've got that. Slash is the perfect example of like 
Nobody else wears that hat. That's Slash's hat. And if you see that, if you see that hat, it stands in for all of Slash. You're either looking at Slash or looking at a GNR tribute band. Exactly. It's like that's Slash's hat. So like, I feel like that. Uh, if you if you're gonna go bald, you either just go bald naturally and let it all hang out. Or you figure out a hat that no one else is quite wearing, and then you make that your hat. If I may say so myself, uh, you're uh, you're making the most of what you got. Thank you. Yeah, I, I don't like. I don't look at you and, and say this guy's going bald. I'm saying Lon letting it all hang out. That's yes, exactly. I think that's what I'm. I think that's what I'm going for. It's, where it's you know, it's just like generally like. This person's not too caught up in what they look like, I think is better than like, which is like if I was really trying my best. Thanks for listening to the Follicle Report with Lon and Hal. Lon, what's in the news? Did it, did it, did it, did it, did it, Lon? Let's in the news. So we got to talk about this. Ryan Johnson, you've heard of him. He's, uh, he signed on to make two, not one, but two follow-ups to Knives Out for Netflix for the hefty, the princely sum of four hundred fifty million dollars for the Wait, two movies. Wait, so is that's not the budget of the movies? That's like, what is? What, what do you mean? Well, yeah, that's they're they're going to pay Ryan Johnson and his company four hundred and fifty million dollars, and in exchange, they will get two Knives Out movies. So I'm that's a combination of that's what they'll spend on the movies, but you know, keep keep a little because it normally a deal with a director for something like this, it would be you get a salary and then you get a taste of the, the back end. But obviously Netflix, there is no back end. This is the back end. They're not opening it and then seeing how much it makes at the box office. So this is everything. This is the deal all in. So are and, these like the Daniel Craig mysteries? Like what are these yes, going to be? that's exactly what it's going to be. They, they've, they've said Daniel Craig's going to return as Benoit Blanc. There's no other casting announcements yet, but I think we can presume it'll be a totally new cast for is a that his, film. What's his name, Benoit Blanc? Benoit Blanc is the gentleman detective that Daniel Craig plays. Is he uh, any relation uh, to Benoit Balls? Well, you know how names work, which is your first name is the family name. So yes, because this is this is Korea. So <laughs> Benoit being his last name, that's obviously how I said it. Sure. So um You know, it, like Park Chan Wook, exactly the same way. Like Bong Jun Ho. Uh no, uh, Su- it's Benoit Suzuki, Benoit Suzuki Blanc. His last name is uh-huh. Blanc would be the family name. Oh, okay. French, so he- French family that moved to uh Kentucky somehow. <laughs> That's the accent he's doing. Uh, so anyway, yeah, I'm presuming it's going to be like an Agatha Christie, you know, like he's the Hercule Poirot where the detective will carry over and it'll be a different ensemble cast and a different mystery to be solved every time. Presumably, maybe not. They could they could throw us a curveball. I thought Knives Out was fine, very enjoyable. But how come we're getting two frickin' Knives Out uh, sequels before we even get a Looper sequel? I... Looper sucks. Come on. Looper sucks. Looper sucks. Looper's a great concept. Looper's a great concept. And then it gets totally distracted with like, oh, but there's also this powerful kid on a farm. And it's like, this has nothing, literally nothing to do with the movie that you started. You can't do that halfway through a movie. You're talking shit about the Rainmaker? What? 
That was the kid's nickname, oh, I, the Rainmaker. Yeah, I, that's how much I give a shit about Looper. I don't remember. I loved Looper. And you know what? I like what they did with Joseph Gordon-Levitt and uh, Bruce Willis. Why is that better than just letting Joseph Gordon-Levitt play young Bruce Willis? Why do I have to see him like look like artificially mooked up? Like, mook him up. Mook him, mook him by 30%. Yeah, you needed a nose prosthetic. Show me show me JGL, but 20% mookified. Well, what do you prefer? Uh, the, the way they did it in Looper or Gemini Man? <laughs> I, I would prefer, like, here's the actor that kind of looks a little bit like young Will Smith. He, he's going to be playing young Will Smith. I don't think we ever improved on that classic system of, like, find two guys who kind of look alike and fucking cast them as the same character. Like, yeah. Like, I also said this for Rogue One when that Star Wars movie came out. Like, instead of computer-animated, cartoon, Peter Cushing, Grand Moff Tarkin... Yes. Hire actor Charles Dance, who played Ooh. Tywin Lannister on Game of Thrones. Looks I like, like Looks like Peter Cushing. We know he can do that voice and be an intimidating older British man. Just let another actor play the part. Why are we so afraid of letting actors act? That's what they do. It's like we it's like we're oh I can't suspend disbelief if that guy's face now looks like that guy's like you know that they're an actor or they're famous. Yeah, I get it. Harrison Ford's not really a fucking fugitive, you idiot. Is the knife chair coming back? I mean I would presume not because it's in that dead guy's house and we are Benoit solved that mystery, son. Uh, so here, here's the little game they're playing online. Uh, so who are some people, Hal, that you would like to see in a future Knives Out mystery? Like, who are some actors you would like to see Daniel Craig investigate? And what accent do you think he should adopt for the next film? Oh, well, I, I mean, it would be crazy. He's famously he, doing a terrible dropped. Kentucky accent, but wouldn't it be great if every new movie he has a different, like, wildly unexpected... Like, I would love for him to come in and just, like, Jamaican accent. Like, not, no, no backstory on it. Oh, just, and you're thinking of Chet Hanks. I'm just, yeah, exactly. <laughs> he just starts call, call, calling all the suspects bumba clots. I would love yeah. that. Uh, White Boy Summer starring Daniel Craig and Chet Hanks. Yeah. Um, I like I like that Ann Dowd. Big, fa- big fan of her. And how about uh, uh, Brian Tyree Henry? And um, and then maybe oh uh, what what's his name that was just in that we were just talking about in um, Barb and Star who's the the handsome guy from Barb and Star oh Jamie Dornan Jamie Jamie Dornan yeah who yeah. sang his the song about lobsters yes uh, uh, what, what about you I, you played that straight I thought I thought you were gonna I thought you were gonna throw me a wacky curveball. Oh, uh, maybe, but as an accent, um, I wouldn't mind hearing him doing an Israeli, an Israeli <laughs> accent. He's done. Wait, Craig has done. What's that movie? Defiance. He's done oh, a yeah. thick he Israeli pl- accent. Did he before. play? A, oh, did he have? A, no, Israeli I don't. Act? You know what? It's it's. He's doing. It's like German because they're Holocaust survivors. You're right. You're right. So it's Eastern European in that one. I don't know if he's done straight up Israeli. Mm-hmm. Uh, did you have any uh, any thoughts? I thought you were gonna you were gonna make a wacky funny goof of it, so I I didn't think one. But my my joke on Netflix was uh, I think John Mulaney and the Sack Lunch Bunch. This should be a crossover. John Mulaney's been killed. The Sack Lunch Bunch are the only suspects. There you go. Take it take it away. Uh huh. Um, 
that that would be adorable and uh, and fun and oh, but sad because well, and it's died. A, it's about a child murderer. But I I think that's I think that adds to the spice, you know, like mix it up. Coming back for the sequel, how are you going to make this bigger? The yeah, killer go is next under level. ten. Got to go next exactly. level. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's move on. Godzilla versus Kong. We're going to talk about it later too. We're going to say what what we thought of the lizard and the monkey punching each other. But it had a huge. Americans were in for this movie. Had a huge opening day, much bigger than expected at the box office. Back in the theaters, Lon. People were back in the theaters. Nine point six million dollars in the U.S. on Wednesday alone on under twenty five hundred screens. That is by far the biggest opening since theaters closed in March of twenty twenty. It seems to indicate. Not only growing interest in the MonsterVerse franchise, which has kind of fits and starts, kind of struggled from the very beginning, but it seems like a very positive sign that people may want to go back to movie theaters once this whole pandemic has wrapped up. I mean, Lon, America needs a little escapism. I agree, but if you recall, less than a year ago when we were having this conversation about theaters closing... Are, are people ever going to want to come back? This was a real concern a lot of people had that if we spend a year and if we get everybody so used to first-run movies like Godzilla vs. Kong being available on their TV, is that going to be that? And they're going to be like not willing to go back out to theaters. And I think that after a year of being locked in our homes and apartments, I think we've realized like actually we're desperate to get out of our house and movies are a great uh, excuse or escape from just hanging out at home. And people are probably excited and looking forward to going back to theaters because, you know, Godzilla versus Kong is available at the same time it popped up in theaters. It also popped up on HBO max. So these were people making a decision not to stream it at home, but to go to a theater to, to watch. Maybe none of these people have HBO max. Well, but they could have, you know, you could sign up. I mean, this month alone, if you had HBO max, you got not only GVK, but you got the Snyder Cut. I mean, who could ask for anything more? In fact, they had Mortal Kombat was also going to open this month. They've kicked it back a few weeks just so you'd have to pay for one extra I month. I know. I saw that they Max. pushed back Mortal Kombat, and I was like, oh, where's my Mortal Kombat? Get over here. Yeah. <laughs> he said that to no one in his house. He just out loud yeah. couldn't help himself. Mm-hmm. I was, tell- I was telling the movie, get in my eyeballs. You know that Snyder Cut, Tal, I, I don't know if you saw, they released that in uh, black and white. Uh, oh, yeah. Ago. Justice is gray. Justice it, is... It, indeed. Did you, did, did, so did you watch the, the black and white version, Lon? Uh, no. I, I've, now, I've now watched the Snyder Cut just since it hit HBO Max thrice because we did the we did the Honest Trail. So I watched it once, we did a watch along, and then I watched it again to write jokes and notes and, and try to sort of follow all the... You know, like really watch it instead of half watching and half trying to riff. And then I, I did go back a third time just to make sure I caught everything. And there were a few spots where I was like, I'd like to see how he did that again. And sort of compare and contrast to Justice League. So after three times, I'm like, I'm I'm good. Like, I, I, I will maybe revisit it again and check out the black and white version someday. But I, I need a breather. Well, so the you know the Snyder Cut, uh, I, I think uh, it was a it was a hit. It was a news it was a newsmaker, an attention grabber, and the fans uh, really dug the it. The fans loved it. I think everybody yes. agrees it's better than the 2017 version. We really can't know how big a hit any of these things are because they don't tell us. But it seemed to definitely drive a lot of conversation. And uh, you know, the, after that, there's news of an R-rated Mrs. Doubtfire cut. 
out this, there. Uh, okay, I'm going to have to jump in here. Okay. People are getting very confused about how movies are put together and what a cut really means. Like, there are a lot of movies that there are versions of this movie that are strung together by editors and directors during the post-production process that aren't necessarily definitive cuts of the movie. Now, I'm not saying this is true for the Snyder cut. There was definitely a version that Zack Snyder liked that Joss Whedon took and then hacked up to pieces. We know that. But uh, but in the in, like the Mrs. Doubtfire, like they knew Mrs. Doubtfire was not going to be an R-rated movie. There was no point in that process where Chris Columbus thought maybe they're going to let me release a real dirty Mrs. Doubtfire. They had a version with dirtier jokes in it that they knew they would. Right, there are a ruined. bunch of takes where Mrs. Doubtfire says, "Ooh, but what about my twat?" Yeah, I couldn't believe how many racial slurs Robin Williams was saying in the Doubtfire Boys. Oh, yes, all how of dare them. he call all, all those people ones. bohunks? Uh, oh my god! But I'm um, kidding, folks. So, he would never. Rob Williams, blessed saintly, Rob Williams would never, would never. Correct. Uh, but so anyway, when you so see have, things, I just want to put that out there. When you see things like, oh, there was like I saw just today, somebody was asking Isaac Gonzalez if like, is there a cut of Godzilla versus Kong in which there's more backstory for your character? And she said yes, and everybody was like, goddamn, Warner Brothers hacking these movies. And I'm like, no, but of course, they, of course, there was extra with all of these characters. That's part of making a movie. Okay, yes. sorry. Continue. Uh, oh, so. With news of all these cuts or pseudo cuts out there, um, I have uh, a secret source who found some cuts that may or may not exist. Probably not, but maybe, but definitely not, but but perhaps yes, but do. Uh, so here are here are a few a few cuts that we may see down the road. The I Am Legend talking dog cut. You know Will Smith. He's he's all alone in New York, and he's uh, and he's got this dog, and he's very lonely. But in this version, the apocalyptic tale uh, is happy because he has a a cute puppy pal who's a real now, chatty Kathy. Now let me ask you, what actor provided the dog voice that we never got to hear? Uh, Andy Serkis. Oh, okay, right, yeah. So it was like a like a British, like a proper British gentleman dog. I would think Owen Wilson would be a great. Oh dog yeah! Dog. Wow. Like, wow, wow, we're all wow. alone. We're the only two left in New York. Wow. Wow. Um, here's here's another one. Mm-hmm. The Sixth Sense, Bruce Willis is the ghost detective cut. This version, it starts with uh, the Shyamalan classic with Bruce Willis right at the top of the thing saying, Hi, I'm a ghost detective and I'm dead. He's not a detective. He is a psychiatrist. So are you suggesting that it's a totally different movie that's not about him being a child psychiatrist and it's just about him being a detective? Or did you forget what The Sixth Sense is about? No, my uh, my secret source forgot, Lon. That's, that's a wild cut because that means the whole movie. There was a totally different movie where Bruce Willis is solving some sort of crime as opposed to helping a child named Cole... Uh, get over his neuroses, which end up being, spoiler alert, that he can see dead people. Oh, also in uh, this Sixth Sense ghost detective cut? <laughs> this is the Seventh Sense, I think. This was the the, the, the the Scandinavian knockoff. Owen Wilson's also in it. Wow, <laughs> yeah. we're all dead. Wow. Ghost, wow, the afterlife is real. Now, we all know that the afterlife is not real, but what this film presupposes is... Maybe it is. Mm-hmm. 
Oh, you think it's just lights that out? Rubbed. It's Royal Tenenbaums. That's a that's an Owen Wilson. So oh, Owen Wilson. Wow. Royal <laughs> you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm just gonna go. I'm gonna go. Okay. That's all. Uh, that's we also may see. That's all. That's another Owen Wilson bit from Royal Tenenbaums. We may see down the road the interstellar bookcase cut, where when McConaughey ends up behind the bookcase in Interstellar. The whole world of the bookcase comes to life, and we meet all the literary characters from the books. Holden Caulfield, Anne of Green Gables, Pooh Bear. It's a real delight. The interstellar bookcase cut. And you know who shows up? Wow, what am I doing behind the bookcase? I wouldn't even know I was in this movie. Wow. There's like one of the books on that little girl had just like a biography of O. Wilson, which is extra strange because, uh, you know, like little, little, you know, not, not, not an actor you would think a little girl would be reading up about. But, you know, there it is. Um, You know, it's it's weird to have a cut of a documentary that's totally different, but a grizzly man cut. Of the where the grizzly man lives at the end of the cut. <laughs> That's it's right. Just, the, the, it's the, the cut where Werner Herzog shows the lady the the footage that he says not to listen to. Yes, um, the the, uh, the the quirky titular character survives the documentary, leaving people happy, uh, feeling very happy after the the Herzog classic, as opposed and now to now I am sitting here with Timothy Treadwell, who survived his encounter with the bears. Wow. <laughs> Owen Wilson shows up to congratulate him on surviving. Owen Wilson directed this version of Grizzly Man instead mm-hmm. of Werner Herzog. And Lon, there's one more cut we may see down the road. Uh, the Footloose Dancing is Dead cut. In this version, John Lithgow murders Kevin Bacon and no one in the town ever dances again. And th- then the remake would also have to be recut or reshot that way. Right. Because also, Dan, yeah. And Owen Wilson has to be. Oh, wow, I hate dancing, wow. <laughs> yeah, no, I think he should play the John Lithgow part in the remake. Stop dancing, everybody, what are you doing? Oh, there you go. The mean preacher who hates... When I was, it's funny, when I was a kid and I saw, like, the first time I saw Footloose, I don't know, I was 10, 12 years old, uh, and I thought that sounded silly. I was like, that. come on, like, he, oh, he hates dancing you're not allowed to dance at this time. And then the older I've gotten, the more I've realized, like, oh, no, this is totally, like, there would, I could totally now imagine an American town where they were just like, dancing is from the devil. Like, I, yes, that's not hard for me to imagine at all. Um, didn't we just have that a couple of weeks ago with uh, Cardi B and Megan yeah, Thee exa- Stallion? Right. Exactly. It was like me being naive as a kid to think that people would not be this crazy. Yep. Lon, maybe we'll see some of those cuts. I don't think and- we will. I got to be honest with you. I don't think we will ever see any of those cuts. I think those are those are they're those are buried in the Disney vault for a reason. Definitely not. <laughs> Especially that one where M. Night Shyamalan forgot what the guy who who his main character's job was. I, I got bad information from a secret yeah, I source. I think right. I, I understand. I, although Bruce Willis as a ghost detective, fucking sign me up. Like if if just if Minoj wants to make that as his next project, I'm on board. Minoj. That's what the M in M. Night Shyamalan stands for. Oh. That's his actual name, Minoj. Wow, I'm learning so much today. Bruce Willis was a child psychologist and Minoj. Lon, is that all of uh, no. any more news How to cover? No, how dare you? Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, Colin Firth, you know him. He's going to yeah, star Firth. in the- The ladies eight- love Firth. The ladies do love Firth. Uh, Mamma Mia star Colin Firth. 
He's going to star in the HBO Max scripted series, The Staircase. That's, of course, based on the very famous and celebrated true crime docu-series. It started as a just a French true crime documentary, but then the case itself got a lot more complicated. So the filmmakers came back and did a Netflix miniseries, like expanding on everything that had happened since they stopped filming. So The Netflix miniseries, very disappointing, I thought. Well, it's not I enough mean, bang it, for your buck. I, you know, like, yes, I, I agree. But it's also it's like it's but it's real light. Like, it's hard to fault them. I don't think it was a fault of the way they made it. I think it was just, you know, like, yeah, there's an interest in continuing the story, but it's not as fascinating as the earlier parts of the story. I don't know what you would do about that, but uh, I don't agree. make it. Do not. Just don't come back at it. all. You would have rather yes. they just left it as is. Okay. Or I, I or not as many episodes. Right. I think that, yeah, I think they could have done a shorter Netflix follow-up. But anyway, uh, so the, the whole thing is going to inspire now. It is about uh, the murder of Kathleen Peterson uh, or the death of Kathleen Peterson, for which her husband, crime novelist Michael Peterson, was ultimately convicted. But there are a lot of twists and turns along the way. It was a very complicated series of trials and legal proceedings, and it'll presumably all be covered in this, in this show. Wow. Oh, Wilson, not cast, not cast. In this oh, uh, George R. R. Martin. He's co-writing a game of Thrones stage show. Uh, oh, Thrones on ice. Not. No, it's just going to be on regular, on a regular non ice stage. Although Do you they are hear one of the songs. Do you want to hear one of the songs from Thrones on ice? I do. Hodor, 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 Hodor. Get it? That's all he says. Yes, while, the, all while all. doing triple axles and wow. sow cows. Because that, that, are you envisioning a large purport, like a Hodor-sized gentleman? Or are you thinking you'll slim Hodor down so that he can uh, be more graceful on the ice? Or are we just well, looking it, for like that one in a million, like who's a big, heavy set ice dancer? Um, it's either going to be a big, heavy set ice dancer or a little sprightly ice dancer in one of those puffed out costumes that. Um, oh, right. Yeah. OK. Yeah. All right. So Hodor is like a Disney on ice character. But you know what? They're I like think dragons. They're- I mean, I'm presuming that's how you would do things like dragons. Uh, anyway, uh, so the the show is going to be set 16 years before the TV series at the Great Tourney of Harrenhal. I don't know how up you are on your Westerosi lore, Hal, but this is a frequent event that comes up a lot in the books. They talk about it on the TV show. It was a like huge uh, tournament that was held at Harrenhal, and a lot of the main characters from the later show and, and books are in there. Ned Stark was there. Robert Baratheon was there. Oberyn Martell was there. Uh, so a lot of notable characters mixed it up, and a lot of the events that happened there led directly into... Uh, the battle of the, the 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 wars that come and and the the sort of setup of the seven kingdoms uh, and Robert Baratheon's rebellion and all that stuff. Interesting. I mean, uh, I, I, I guess if you're a throne head, that's going to be compelling viewing. But I, I want the. It seems like it'd be hard to recreate all the bombast of the show. Well, I think that's the idea. They, they in some ways, are calling it a spectacular, like a stage spectacular. And I oh, think like Spider-Man, is, turn off the dark. Like, yeah, or like the Miami Vice action spectacular at Universal or something. So I think, like uh, like Harry Potter and the Cursed Child, I think part of the appeal is going to be the stagecraft. Like, 
how did they recreate the world of Game of Thrones in a live setting without it being, you know, late? So I'm expe- I'm expecting, like, you know, because they'll have to be jousting. Like, they'll have to, it's a, it, that's the kind of tournament that it is. So uh, how do you recreate jousting on stage? That's going to be impressive. Th- um, they recreated jousting in the porn version of Game of Thrones. Moving on. That's it. Wow. I thought we were getting one more beat there. I, I waited. Uh, there was a pregnant. There was a pregnant pause, folks. Behind, let you behind the scenes. I thought we were doing a like. It was called this. Well, I just wanted people to put the image in their head of the the porn version of Game of Thrones jousting a couple mm-hmm. of guys just bopping their dicks around. Just yeah, well, just <laughs> that's what I was all, thinking. They're all named some version of Lance. Uh, yes, uh, Lon. What? If, but what would it be? What if it was a, a rock opera? And then you had Jon Snow being like, I'm a bastard! Yeah! And like the, the bastard song, that, I mean, that would be a honestly, banger. I think I feel like you're both kidding, but a Game of Thrones rock opera could be really cool. Like, I feel like both of these things are simultaneously true. Should uh, we do the unauthorized Game yes, of Thrones? Yes, I think the two of us who have neither written a play or a song are the two people who should really take this. I have actually done both. You've written a song? Uh, yeah, comedy songs. I've written plenty no, of comedy not, songs. No, a real song, not a comedy song. We've all written comedy songs. That's not. That's a song. No, that's like the the point of the song is that it's not a real song, and that's what makes it funny. That's like the 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 essence of the comedy song. Oh, uh, like, okay. Doesn't this almost sound like a song? That's <laughs> not a real song. Ever heard of Weird Al? Weird. Those are songs. Yeah, comedy songs. You've written a comedy song that you think is on on a par with the Weird Al level comedy song. You know, I don't want to make that claim because he's on because he is on the, like. Right, hey, listen, I've never heard your song. Maybe it's brilliant. I don't want to judge. Maybe you're a great songwriter and you're the you're the perfect person to collaborate on a Game of Thrones musical with. And I'm the one who's going to end up looking like an asshole. That could totally happen here. Asshole, another comedy song by Dennis. Save Leary. the yeah, exactly. It's fucking terrible. Like, will you going out listening to asshole a lot these days? Oh, I mean, just the sentiment there is pretty shitty. The, the uh, right, the, the the joke is not a real song. He's pretending like he wrote a song, but it's just him complaining like he always does. All right, one more thing I want to talk about, and then we got to do some reviews. Uh, Wall Street, but not spelled like you're thinking. W a h l, because it's about Mark Wahlberg and how he's very good at business. You know how uh, Nick Kroll's company is called Good at Business and the end of all the Kroll shows, his little production company card comes up and it's his Bobby Bottle service was like, ha, go to business. That's what I feel like this entire show is. Like Mark Wahlberg got a six episode HBO Max reality show that is just about how he's super good at business and he's like an entrepreneur and like, yo, come on, follow me into some of these meetings. All right. I got a lot of meetings today. Oh, Exactly what you're saying, Lon. It's basically Entourage, the grown-up years. It's like, guys, we're investing. Hey, high fives, <laughs> high fives, close, yeah. Uh, I I don't know, man. This, like, uh, the uh, centering on, yeah, like, uh, like he says he's going to share powerful business and life lessons. It debuts on April 15th. I found this, for some reason, really, like, cringy and embarrassing. I think it's because... So much of Mark Wahlberg's business, and I'm using air quotes, is like trading on the fact that he's a famous movie star. Yes, like, that's it's all hinged it's, on that. It's not like he's starting companies that have 
nothing to do with entertainment or media and people who are who are buying the prize like don't know that he's connected to you know he didn't start like a fertilizer company or like a string of motels in the sun belt it's like clothes that say Wahlberg on them and a burger joint that's called Wahlburgers and it's like doesn't every celebrity you, do yeah. that have you been to Wahlburgers no well I would not I have not and I would not you know what? Okay, here's the thing. Wahlburgers, they're actually not bad. It's a halfway decent burger. But also, it is so hinging on his name because you go in and all over the the, the restaurant, it's names of his movies. And then Donnie is also celebrated. It is wall to wall wall. I mean, if you want to impress me with your fucking business acumen, Mark Wahlberg, like I start a timber company, you know, like get out there and like do like. Like, trading on your name is like, well, everybody fucking does. Every famous person does that that cares about making a lot of money. You know, like, I don't, I don't really see that as being like, oh, you know, like, I just go out and grind and kill it. And he's totally like, oh, I don't know. I don't know where next month's fiscal quarter is going to come from, you guys. Like, he's pretending like it's real. And it, yeah, that's it really what it should be me. called. Mark Wahlberg pretend businessman. Yeah, that's what it just, it's like, I mean, reality shows are already like this level of scripted abstraction and they're kind of fake, but to add on to it, it's like, you know, Mark Wahlberg's funny money businesses. That yeah. Are like, I'm living in a fucking fantasy world and I'm yeah. going to pretend that I have real people problems when in actuality, if I lose this nest egg, who gives a shit? Cause I got a hundred other million in the bank. one more movie and like, yes. it'll be fine. Uh, I got a better idea for a Mark Wahlberg HBO Max show. I think that he should tell us how he would have prevented horrible real world tragedies and then we like reenact and recreate it with like talented writer directors you know like mark Wahlberg is going to tell us how he would have prevented 9-11 and then like paul greengrass is going to like realize it on camera like i would watch because <laughs> you know he said he did that mark Wahlberg famously did that interview where he said uh if he had been on the plane 9-11 would not have happened it's true that's a true quote that's a real that's a real mark Wahlberg quote I mean, he definitely would have prevented 9-11. I like Mark Mark Wahlberg as an as an actor, and I also like the fact that he's a sneakerhead as well. I, I dig that, but that he seems like kind of a dunce otherwise, and he's done some shit in his. He's, I mean, yeah, it's like, like not a maybe not a maybe not a great guy. I, yeah, <laughs> like if he if he's like okay, I'm only going to stake myself X amount of money, and I'm really going to try this business that. Yeah, like you I said. Mean, look at there. There are businesses like he's starting it, and then they sell things, and then he makes money. Like I'm not debating the 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 term or whatever. And like, look, if he wants to make a show about his businesses, and somebody wants to put it on TV, fine. It's just the tone where it's like, look at me, I'm on my grind. I started 18 companies, and so can you. Let me give you tips. And it's like, whoa, okay. Step one, uh, get really, really famous. Like. Before you're 20, be an underwear model and a rapper and an actor. Okay, now, next step. You know, like that's that's got to be part of the story or else you're, uh, you know, lying about, yes. about how your company. You know what? I'm not going to watch that show unless, in, unless we have to talk about it on Binge Boys. <laughs> I think we might have to talk about oh, this. Oh, man. But listen, you can pull a cue into the storm if you want and, like, digitally storm off after after 45 minutes. (laughs) Yeah, out of the storm. Lon, we watched a bunch of stuff this week. Boy, howdy. Yeah, coming up, we're going to talk about Godzilla vs. Kong. Big 
Juan, the the big lizard and the giant gorilla squared off on HBO Max, Godzilla vs. Kong, and uh, man, I thought this was a good time. I, you know, like, look, I, I feel like if you complain at all about these movies in any way, people always come back with, well, it's just, you just don't like monster fights. They're like, well, it's just, if you, you, you just have to watch for the monster fights and nothing else matters. And, and I, and you know, I just, I don't agree because I like, I like big fighting monster movies. And I get that the plot is really just an excuse to get these monsters to face off, thus destroying some of our world cities. I'm on board. And I feel like we have a template for how to make that work. I just feel like the essential component, you, for whatever reason, we feel like you got to have humans in these movies. Like, I think technology-wise, we're at the point where we could have just made this movie about Khan. Like, he could have just been the main character. And, like, we can do mocap and animation and make him expressive enough. And we're already kind of on his side emotionally anyway. And, Wait, but so you they, want a silent movie with with just the monsters? Yeah, he's signing. He's signing to the little girl. We can we can subtitle it. Anyway, I That's would be DOA. fine with that. That's I would DOA. be fine with it. You've, but if you're, you're going to have... Lon, you're filled with a lot of good ideas. This is not one of them. But I feel like, but I feel like, if you're gonna have people in it, here's what I'm leading up to. But if you're gonna have people in it, you have to make the the energy and the vitality of those stories equal to the monsters. You got to make people that I care about a little, that I want to follow a little, that are compelling in some way. And I think Kong Skull Island does a great job. And every once in a while, you can like see the glimmer of that, like Bradley Whitford and. King of the Monsters, I thought was a lot of fun oh, and a yeah. good example of like how to, cool. yeah, how to invest one of these people within a personality. I, I like a lot of characters in, in Kong Skull Island. And I feel mm-hmm. like even like Brian Tyree Henry in this, there are moments where you're like, and, and the girl, Gia, the, the, the deaf girl who can communicate with Kong. I feel like those were good ideas. Like yeah, that's she was how to sweet get kid. Right. That's how it's. A, there's an emotional arc. She and the monkey have a connection and she cares yeah. about him and vice versa. That's how you do it. And Mm -hmm. they just 90 percent of the time, they just don't bother. And they just give us humans like in that first Godzilla where it's like half the movie is just shots of soldiers being like, I don't have a visual. What's your 20? What's your 20? I don't have a visual. And it's just like, I don't care. Uh, This is boring and flat. Yeah. And and Cranston bounced too soon. And, And yeah. And like and then this one, too, like they're still doing it where there's just so much of like characters. Yeah, I didn't care about Rebecca Hall. I didn't care about Alex Sarsgaard. And the explanations are fucking nonsense. Like, we don't care. Like, I don't care about, oh, they've dug a tunnel through the center of the earth and now they can ship packages quickly to Hong Kong. Like, who gives a fuck? Just the, I want to see the, I want to see the monsters fighting. And if it's not monsters fighting, I want to see fun, interesting people doing things that matter. But the, 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 the flimsy characters and all that, it didn't bother me because the pacing of this film was balls to the wall and the, the fights ramped up. I felt like they got the formula right in this one, whereas it was a little bit off in the first two in uh, the first two Godzillas. In the first Godzilla, not enough. They saved it all to the end, and uh, it it just uh, left me feeling a little empty. The second Godzilla, uh, Godzilla King of the Monsters, it was just too much, and by the end, you were like, okay, more fighting. This one, somehow, they they got the formula right. The lemonade was not too tart and not too sweet. And I, just, the- I still was, I agree with you. The fights were great. And King of the Monsters also, I think, had the problem of, like, there. there's a lot of classic imagery. Like, 
when Ghidra first shows up and raises its wings and there's the lightning strike or like, uh, you know, uh, like you know, there's a lot of cool moments or beats or images, but the the actual fights were kind of not that dramatic or, or intense. Like it almost felt a lot of times because of the sheer scale that the monsters are kind of moving like in slow-mo or underwater where, whereas in this one, you know, Kong will just rear back and punch Godzilla in the face and it's exciting like a boxing match and oh, it works great. So that's the, the a great monster, po- point the monster that you fights make right were there. great in this. Yes, and like it's it's funny that you said monster match. Um, you probably you might have seen this as well. I was reading about it, and they borrowed a lot from professional wrestling, and it was it was super fucking rad, right? And that's a real problem in King of the Monsters is it's always trying to give you the human perspective on it. So we're always like down on the ground trying to, and it's just so it's like a tail and a limb and a head, and you can't really see or get a grab, and it's always like foggy, and and it's it's expressing the scale of it. But this movie is more like, okay, you get it. They're really huge. But now one is going to pick the other one up and like chuck him into a skyscraper or like take an axe and like throw it at him. And it's just more visceral and cool to see. Yeah, there was one moment where I had to recalibrate myself and make sure I wasn't watching uh, Rampage starring The Rock. Uh, but, but I, that's, but. and this is a perfect example of what I'm saying. So there's this crazy exuberance and vitality and energy to those scenes. And then you cut back indoors to people, and with a very few exceptions, there are a few exceptions, but with a very few exceptions, it just, then it goes flat for 10 minutes, and it's like, I just don't, I just don't get the point. Like, either don't do it at all, or if you're going to do it, have a John C. Riley type in there that makes it fun and interesting, instead of a bunch of characters looking at screens going like, we have to find out why Godzilla is so mad. Like, I know you've got to find out why Godzilla is so mad. I'm sure you'll get there. So I, I really enjoyed this movie. I thought it was paced the hell out of it, the, and the fights were like, bam, bam, bam. But I wish they leaned just that much more. They started to do it, but I wish they leaned just that much more into the classic Godzilla music. Like, like you had this bass refrain a couple of times, and like I wish they just went full on with that, like, like that whole thing. I would have loved that. But... Yeah, Either this has way. kind of a synthy Adam Wingard sort of more modern. You know who you know who did the music? Huh. Junkie XL, the same guy who did the Snyder Cut. Wow. Man, uh he, he is yeah, having a, a month man. on HBO Max. Busy man. Well, uh, he's a he's got a he's got an XL habit that he's got to keep up. It's a pretty intense. There there you go. He's a junkie and it's uh Folks, uh, he's a junkie. XL. He's a junkie for XL. Uh, as opposed to being a junkie for screens. Godzilla vs. Kong, HBO Max. Uh, yeah, what a good time. If, if you don't like this movie, I don't know what to tell you. It was, it was a good time. Here's a, we watched another movie, Bad Trip on Netflix, uh, and uh, featuring Eric Andre, Lil Rel Harris, and... Lil Rel Howry. Howry, sorry. Uh, I just have Lil Rel written down, and I, I knew I'm, it was an H. I'm, I, they call me Lil Rel Harris. So oh, I don't yes. Know, I don't want him moving in on my territory. Lil Rel Howry and uh, Tiffany Haddish. Uh, super fun. I, 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 I LOL'd. This shit is fucking brilliant, folks. Like, I I like, I like laughed a lot. Like, there, there are some scenes in this that are super ridiculous, but amazing and there's there's one it's in it's in a trailer so i don't feel that bad and it's an early scene there is a moment where eric andre is playing a guy who makes smoothies 
Uh, but he's like gross and terrible at it. So he's like scooping things with his hands and like it's just like that's the that's the the bit is like he's making everybody smoothies and they're really gross. And at the very end, he just has a moment where he sticks his hand accidentally into the blender, causing it to like explode with blood. And I I laughed. I had to stop the movie. I was laughing so hard because the react. But I also it's. They're pranks. So it's a prank movie. He and Laurel Howery, they're pretending that they're on this road trip to New York from Florida. And it's just they're making stops. And every stop, they're just pulling these crazy street pranks on people where they're just doing embarrassing, silly things. But it's very different from a lot of other prank movies because they're always the targets. Like, it's them being humiliated in front of other people instead of humiliating people and laughing at them. And it took me a while to even figure out that that was the twist on the formula. But man, it works so good because you know, you know that they're playing a character. So it's not it, it, it. It's all the fun of these pranks, but they're not it's not cringy and awful. You don't feel bad for laughing because it's. Just yeah, a goof. I- um, this is, I would say, you know, it's it's in the ballpark of uh, Borat, Borat Two kind of yeah, thing. I but laughed the as way- much as I did at Borat Two. I think. Yeah, I, I would say I, I would I would put it a sh- just a shade below Borat Two, but uh, I thought it was yeah, absolute balls to the wall funny. And the point you're making about there the, uh, the like the pranks are on them, and we're just getting the reactions. It immediately as you said that I'm thinking about Borat Two, and it's like oh, so many of the people in Borat Two, the real people, are made to be the asshole, right? And that and to be fair and to Sasha Baron Cohen, that formula. To be fair to Sasha Baron Cohen, that's his goal. He's like, I'm going to reveal the horribleness of these people by playing into their prejudices. So it's a very different, it's a very different thing. But yes, the idea here is like, rather than a prank to like make you look stupid or foolish or gullible, these are pranks to like, I want to see how these people are going to react to seeing something shocking and unexpected and crazy. And Eric Andre especially is uh, – Tiffany Haddish is brilliant. They're all great. But Eric Andre is so good at capturing that. He's such a great actor in the moment at pretending to be horrified and shocked by what's just happened to him. He really makes people believe it even when it's absolutely ridiculous. I mean he's honed his skills for uh, years and years on the Eric Andre show, which is a brilliant piece of comedy television. There's a bit here. I'm not gonna say what happens. There's a bit where he's unwisely going into a, a, a an area he shouldn't go into, and he goes into it. Something horrible happens. He comes back out, and all the bystanders are like, "Oh my god, I can't believe that happened to you! I'm so glad that you're okay." And then immediately turns around because he forgot his phone, so he's got to go back in. And the horrified reaction of people who are like trying to stop him from going back in is so amazing to see these because these are good people. They're they're kind people. They're trying to help him, but they can't also can't help but not be able to process what's happening in front of this. The same with the when he goes to the chicken wing restaurant and you can see these people are they're watching this drama play out in front of them and you can't help but enjoy it. But they're good people and they're really trying to help and like intervene positively. I can't believe people, I can't believe uh, uh, Tiffany Haddish did not get spotted and like for someone being I like. Was, I was thinking this too. I tweeted this when I was watching it. I was like, because Eric Andre and Little Royal Howery are both famous. They're on TV. Little Royal Howery was in Get Out, but Tiffany Haddish, she's in like five movies a year. And and they're filming. They're they're not in like very remote rural places. They're in like 
major like cities Florida, along the and eastern going up seaboard. To New York, yeah. yeah, like Newark and Virginia, and you know, like so. I was surprised, but I tweeted this, and I got a lot of feedback from people who were like, "Oh no, you could film stuff like this in my neighborhood, and nobody would recognize Tiffany Haddish." So I feel like maybe it's like we're from LA, or we feel like we're more like. We walk around and you kind of expect to see famous people. And I guess if you're from most of the country, you wouldn't think that was Tiffany had. It wouldn't even occur yeah, you to you to that might be. you're dry cleaning, there's Matthew Broderick. Right. You wouldn't even be like, is this Tiffany Haddish? You would just be like, this lady's crazy. I'm going to get away from her. Yeah. Uh, bad trip on Netflix. Watch it. Watch the hell out of it. And you know what? Yeah, n- Not a bad movie to, uh, you know, uh, smoke an ounce, uh, drink a fifth of Jack <laughs> Daniels. Smoke an ounce. That's too much, Yes. Uh, Coming up, we're going to talk about Tina on HBO Max. Go ahead and uh, smoke an ounce before we do that. Juan, Tina Turner, uh, what a superstar. HBO Max uh, and HBO featured uh, has this new documentary about her life. I learned a lot about her. It's an inspiring story, huh? Uh, Yeah, I mean, you know, I... It's interesting because, uh, you know, you watch a movie like this and and you sort of think I'm going to get, you know, I'm going to learn a lot about the life of Tina Turner. And I really felt like it wasn't so much that it was like I I, I feel like a lot of the beats that they were hitting here were things like I kind of knew. And and it really glosses over, especially a lot of the career. It kind of treats once you got her first big solo hit with What's Love Got to Do With It. It sort of treats that that like that was it. That was the moment where she proved she could do it on her own and it was the big comeback and it kind of treats that as the climax and like that was the, I guess it's just my perspective, but that was the moment that I became, as a young person, I became aware of who she was. Like I didn't know Ike and Tina. So to me, it felt like they really jumped over the whole career that I knew about, you know, like who, like, uh, you know, I, anyway, um, that's not a criticism. That's just, I was surprised by how this isn't so much a biography as it is a kind of a take on uh, who she was and, and her life with Ike and and what impact it had on her and, and what it took for her to reinvent herself completely by leaving him and, and going a different direction. And uh, it's a, it's an interesting take for a, for a documentary. I think it worked. Uh, I think it works really well. Yeah. And it, and it shows that the woman is a survivor. It was, you know, she was in a horrific Situation. I mean, she was uh, just um, a terrible, abusive relationship with this guy. And, uh, you know, she was in a torturous situation, but she got out of it and she went on to do her best work. And I think I, I, I was reading something about it where when she had that first What's Love Got to Do With It and, her, and the album that you're talking about and Private Dancer and uh, all those songs... Yeah, it was the the private dancer album. Folks. The because uh, that that's when I became aware of her too, Lon. And she said it wasn't a. Well, I was six. I mean, it wasn't just like it's not my fault. Oh yeah, but uh, she uh, termed it. It wasn't her comeback. She felt like it was her debut, and like talk. So in talking about how controlling Ike Turner was of her, and then seeing her being able to blossom and have the the freedom, not just to live and find a partner she loves, uh, which, you know, you're happy for to, you know, see that, but also to create something that she wanted to, that came out of her. So it's an, it's an inspiring story of being a survivor and, uh, and, and seeing her 
you know, celebrate her success. I was just really disappointed we didn't get the full story behind the recording of Goldeneye. That was really what I was. Oh yeah, for. and, then uh, uh, and nary a, a mention. More. What? What about Mad Max uh, Beyond Thunderdome? There's at least a few moments. We get a beat or two of her being in uh, being in Beyond Thunderdome. Although they also don't mention, uh, you know, like we don't hear we don't need another hero mm-hmm. from the Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome original motion picture soundtrack. Okay, let me ask you a quick question, Lon. Who runs Barter Town? <laughs> Master Blaster runs Barter Town. Uh, but yeah, it, even if you know the story of Tina Turner and you like you've listened to her music, this uh, it's an intimate portrait because right. I think it's it's a it's a telling a story rather than downloading information as a biographical profile would, which is uh, a, a fun take or not a fun take, but a, a, a an interesting and compelling take, and it it definitely feels like a person who has reached like you know the point where they're ready to like look back and like here like it's a it's a legacy moment for her to like take in the whole run of this huge career and kind of start to make sense of it in terms of a narrative. Yeah. And, uh, and I think just a, a, a survivor having a second act where they flourish. So it, it, I mean, for that alone, uh, it, it's just like a really beautiful telling and a uh, nice framework because there are, there are several down moments and it's, it's horrific. Uh, seeing yeah. It's very like different than, you know, like watching Tim Meadows do Ike Turner on SNL where it was almost like a cute, like a cute depiction. Of, I guess that's, I mean, that's what a lot of, I think the movie is about in some ways. It's like, she can't ever get away from this story. It's an intractable part of her narrative. So like, this is what she can do. It's like recontextualize it into a way that is from her perspective. Uh, and uh, it was great that they got uh, Angela Bassett and like so many. Yeah, uh, Oprah, people. Oprah shows Oprah, up in here. Uh, yeah. Uh, but Angela Bassett who, who played uh, Tina Turner and what's love got to do with it. So um, yeah. Uh, Tina on HBO max uh, worth a look. For sure. And then, Lon, uh, you uh, recommended that uh, I take a look at Resident Alien. Yeah, I really enjoyed Resident Alien. Yeah, Resident Alien on Peacock. Uh, I've, it's uh, a sci-fi not- show. It's on cable on sci-fi, and now mm-hmm. they've ported it over to Peacock. And I, I've only gotten to watch one episode, but... Uh, so sorry, I'm not a binge boy that, uh, you know, lies. Shame to the binge boy name. Right? But... um. I enjoyed the heck out of it, and it was not what I expected. No, and, it's, that's uh, what I like best about it. You hear the setup. There's so many, like, especially, like, in the 80s, this was such a common comedy setup of, like, well, the like, E.T. most famously, but, like, Spaced Invaders. And there's tons of these movies where the aliens crash land on Earth, and their, their, their plans get all screwy, and now they've got to, like... with Simon Pegg. Right, and, now they've yeah. got to, like, blend in with human society and try to, like, finish their mission anyway, while obviously Coneheads even. And, Brother uh, from another planet. Well, that's a, li- a little bit more straight. straight. Yes. It, it, that's, that's got a little bit more on its mind in terms of that's social got a commentary. Heart, yeah. I would put John Sale's Brother from Another Planet another. Same, yes. But 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 yes, like it's such a common, silly, dumb setup for a comedy. And when you when I heard about this show, I kind of assumed this was going to be another take on that. But then when you watch it, it's a much more thoughtful. It, it's even like it's kind of a dramedy. Like it even has dramatic. It really is investing in this character. And and Alan Tudyk is amazing in this show it's a it's an incredible performance yeah i really like this flavor of tudic i was expecting him to be like you know just all like goofing around like uh i'm a person who's an alien but th- 
there's so much restraint and it's like his his alien being a human is parsed out uh in yeah just enough there's he he does this really great thing that you notice in moments when he doesn't have dialogue is that he's he he watches people instead of just like waiting to talk or whatever like you can always see that he's like studying every situation he's in to like plot out how he's supposed to make sense of it and it's a small thing but once you catch him doing it it's very purposeful like he like doesn't blink a lot and he's always like he's just kind of got his head down and like he's he's staring a little bit like he's he's five percent too intense whenever he's not participating in a scene as much and watching it it gives you the viewer a little bit of trepidation over oh how is he going to f up this human interaction and that's like to get you know a little bit nervous for the character as you're watching it that's a good feeling as a viewer that keeps you going it's also it's it's based on a on a comic book and i feel like that's why the tone is so interesting and different for a tv show but it's also willing to get pretty like and, and not in an edgy way but it's 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 willing to explore the darkness of this idea that well this is like a creature from space who doesn't innately care about humans and like he's gonna do what he has to do to survive so there's like a running plot line in season one about is he gonna have to murder this kid who can see that he's a real alien and there, there, there's just like it's willing to go to the logical places and not soften it just because it's supposed to be kind of funny. And I really like, I, I admired that they were willing to try to balance that instead of just sort of, you know, round the edges off. Absolutely. And uh, so, yeah, uh, I, I've only seen one episode, Lon. Have you finished it? We're still getting season one on Peacock. Season one wrapped up a few weeks ago on TV, but I think we're only about halfway through the season. So I'm, I'm caught up on Peacock, but I think I have three or four left to go in season one. Yeah, it's uh, it's, it's an hour long, yeah, as you said. Yeah, I would call it a kind of a dramedy. Yeah, it really kind of positions itself in there, but you really are explaining. He's getting to know his neighbors, and they have their own storylines, and uh, you really kind of get to know this whole town. You know what it reminds me of a little bit is, uh, you remember Northern Exposure? Yes. Northern Exposure mm-hmm. was about like a big city guy who moves to become the doctor in this small town in Alaska. And I feel like, the the creators of Resident Alien were like watching Northern Exposure because it's also fish out of water where you get to know this kind of quirky, eccentric small town, but it never teeters totally into like goofy sitcom. They always try to also keep it like you sort of believe this town is real. It's not Shit's Creek. And uh, I think both shows do it. They're, they're similar in that kind of vibe, except this one is full on. He's not just from New York. He's a name. Oh, yeah. Uh, but th- this was a pleasant surprise how straight they play this. It's not li- like I was a, I was absolutely expecting just like, oh, this is going to be so twee and quirky. I'm going to choke on it. But no, nah, uh, th- this is uh, a, a really pleasant surprise. So, uh, Lon, you've done it again. You've recommended a show that I liked. I, I, I prefer when I watch a show that you recommend and I hate it and then I can come on and, and curse. <laughs> Your name, rarely but. happens. The QAnon <laughs> one. That was the last time. Uh, Lon, I, th- I feel like we've talked about quite enough. I'm exhausted. Um, <laughs> yes. Let's wrap uh, this up. Indeed. Shout out to hashtag Owl Nation. Hoot hoot. What's Owl Nation? It's whatever you want it to be. A little owl lives in all of our hearts. Thank you to the folks at Starburns Audio. 
I want to thank our super producer, Adam Macias, for making us sound just a little bit more polished than we actually are. And, I didn't uh, realize, I follow that guy on, on Facebook. He introduces podcasts that are like way, he works on podcasts that are way more impressive than this one. Like we're the, we're the like low hanging fruit on Adam Macias's podcast lineup. Indeed. Adam, thank you for slumming Yeah, it. so Adam, thank you for making time for us little folks. <laughs> and uh, Jason Kay, thank you for uh, the rocking track to kick off the show. Lon, uh, you want to tell people anything, where they can find you, so on and so forth? I'll tell them where they can find me. It's uh, it's on uh, the internet. No, it's Twitter. Go to Twitter, uh, at L-O-N-S. That's the best place to find me. I'll share whatever I'm working on over there. You can also follow my newsletter where I write about this stuff five days a week. You could have heard my Godzilla and Kong fighting review a full 24 hours ago, idiot. Uh, that's at inside.com slash streaming. That's where to sign up for that. Totally free. Five yeah, days a week. Don't, don't sleep on your Lon Harris. Get get them. Get, Why you would you? Get them early. You can get them late. Get them all the time. And you can find me. Not that late. I go to bed. Okay, yeah, within reason. Find me at Hal Rudnick on Twitter and Instagram, H-A-L-R-U-D-N-I-C-K. And uh, yeah, uh, come by, say hello, we'll talk, talk some shit. And also, if you are so inclined, go leave us a review on uh, iTunes. Uh, we would greatly appreciate it. Give us that big, fat, juicy five-star review. Yum, yum. I like to eat the five-star review. It's my food. Is that Israeli? What is that? <laughs> is that uh, I love a five-star review. There you go. What was the other yes. one? What was the other one? It was getting into kind of like an Italian chef, but it was it, it was uh, just like effusively going on about, I'm going to workshop that character. You work, yeah, we'll work back. on that one. We'll work on that one offline. Thanks for listening to, uh, to us talk about stuff. Bye, everybody. Bitch boys, bitch boys. Bitch boys, bitch boys. Bitch boys, bitch boys, bitch boys, bitch boys, bitch in the fuck out of shit.